Welcome to day 75 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are Judges chapter 7 through 9. Here's some thoughts to guide your reading for today. At the end of Judges chapter 6, Gideon had given the Lord four different tests to determine whether or not he wanted to go up against the Midianites. But now, in chapter 7, God turns the tables on him a bit and gives a test to Gideon. Israel had 32,000 fighting men camped out, prepared for battle against the Midianites. But God proclaimed, that's just too many men. If they were to go up and defeat the Midianites, the credit would go to Gideon and his armies and not to God. So, God invoked the provision from Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8, and tells Gideon to let any who are frightened go home. 22,000 leave. 10,000 now remain, but God says it's still too many. So he commands Gideon to take the remaining men down to the river and watch how they drink. Those who put their faces and tongues into the water and lap the water up like dogs should be set aside. Now it's unclear in the text if there's meaning behind this test. It may be simply a way of getting down to a smaller number. However, it's hard to believe that there isn't some implied implication to this unique way that these 300 drink. Gideon started the chapter with 32,000 fighting men, and within seven verses, he's down to 300 dogs. Gideon is still, and now perhaps rightly, afraid. God grants him yet one more sign. This time he gets to overhear a dream from the Midianite camp. It's now clear not just to Gideon, but even to the enemy, that Yahweh is fighting on Israel's behalf. So armed with three non-weapons, a horn, a torch, and a clay jar, the 300 dogs of Israel set the Midianites into a nightmare frenzy in which they begin to turn on one another. This is likely not an insignificant part of the story. Nations that have ruled other nations by the sword ultimately are destroyed by their very own violence turned back on themselves. Notice the irony of verse 18. Gideon shouts, For the Lord and for Gideon. The story of Gideon turns out to be a mixed bag of good and bad, some for the Lord and some for Gideon. Should Gideon be honored for the ways he trusted God, or is his life a kind of tragedy of pursuing his own glory? The answer seems to be yes. Like most of our stories, Gideon's is a mixture of faith and fear, success and failure, goodness and sin. Chapter 8 details the good and bad of Gideon. There's a great deal of tension related to tribal honor that he seems to handle okay, When the people want to make him king, he refuses because God is their ruler. This is the first mention of kingship in the book of Judges, but it will now become a source of tension throughout the rest of Israel's history. All of this seems good. However, on the other hand, Gideon's revenge on Sukkoth and Penuel seems quite vindictive. Although he doesn't accept the title of king, his great number of wives and children seem to reflect the lifestyle of kings. And he gathers a bunch of gold and creates an ephod out of it. Scholars estimate that he gathered about 50 pounds of gold, which would be more ephod than anybody could wear. So the text seems to imply that he crafted an image with an ephod on it, which would make sense of why the people begin to worship it. The people begin to honor Gideon and the spoils of war more than the God who brought about their victory and freedom. At the end of chapter 8, Gideon dies leaving at best an ambiguous legacy. In chapter 9, one of Gideon's sons, Abimelech, whose name means my father is king, and a name that has quite a bit of negative history to it going back to the time of Abraham, 
This Abimelech enacts a violent coup against his brothers with the help of the people of Shechem. Now, Shechem was the place where God covenanted with Abraham and Jacob, and it was the place where Joshua gave his farewell address and made a covenant with the Israelites. But now, it's the source of violence and upheaval. The only other surviving son of Gideon, Jotham, pronounces a parabolic curse on his brother and those supporting him. The point of Jotham's parable of the trees and the thorn bush seems to be beware of those who seek after authority. For those who could lead as king usually don't, because like the trees, they have gifts and purposes that serve the people well without having to take that authority. But those who, like the thorn bush, seek that authority are often those who will use it for themselves and not for the blessing of others. Sure enough, as Jotham's parable seems to imply, Conflict arises between Abimelech and those who put him in power. Like the Midianites who killed one another, Abimelech and the people turn on one another and destroy each other. And just as Sisera earlier, the Canaanite commander who was killed by a woman with an injury to the head, now Abimelech meets his end with a millstone to the head dropped from a tower by a woman. The moral of Abimelech's story seems to be, if you start living like the world, the consequences of the world's brokenness will eventually catch up with you. Judges is taking us down a spiral road of brokenness. There are still glimpses of God's light and deliverance, but the sin of Israel's leadership keeps getting in the way and often overwhelming God's purposes. The narrator is setting us up to wrestle with the eventual mixed blessing of kingship. So read these texts carefully, looking for things you've never seen before. Journal your thoughts, prayers, and questions. And allow these texts to shape not only how you imagine your own opportunities for leadership, but also how they shape the kind of leaders you find yourself drawn to and giving authority to. Our readings for tomorrow are Judges chapters 10 through 12. I'll talk to you tomorrow.